Welcome back to the HVACR Radio Podcast. Tonight in studio, I've got Chad, Ulysses, and Ruben with me, and I'm Cameron. And we've also got John Whitworth from Ketotherm Solutions to talk about all of the Ketotherm Solutions. Right now, I think we're going to go over what we did this week. I am going to go first tonight, Ulysses. Don't even try to chime up. I've been working on a little side project. Side job. Side job, some might say. Side job, Bob. Hey, <laughs> my name is Bob, actually. Actually, it is. That works. I've been doing a, a little refrigeration system for a walk-in cooler at a guy's ranch. Uh, he's going to put in a walk-in box that he got used uh, for deer processing, basically. Um, but it's kind of been going all right, but it's been a little bit of a wreck. Um, chasing down a few leaks that were on the system and then uh, just getting it all put back together. But I don't know how, one way or another, the thing started right up and ran like a champ. So I guess that was good news. But uh, that's all I got. Nice. So where'd you find that leak on? I know you posted something that was pretty interesting because I think I've had that issue once or twice. I found the leak on the suction service valve. Uh, I don't know if it was actually a factory braze. It, if they did braze it, they did a pretty good job of brazing it, except for the fact that they left a hole on the braze. <laughs> but was, that hole wasn't always there, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming that it wasn't. Otherwise, I don't know how they would have pressure tested it if they did and pulled a vacuum if they did. But I have heard of that happening before. On a, it's It's a steel service valve with a copper... Uh, pipe going into it so you typically use a silver solder or a multi-alloy um, brazing rod to put that together and those typically require flux to be applied to them and actually one of my buddies had this happen to him once where he welded a or brazed or soldered whatever you want to call it a joint like that and he's like yeah I got that that thing looks pretty good and then pressure tested it and Went to, uh, I think he just pressure tested it and it, it blew out the flux out of the portion that he didn't, he didn't realize it, but the flux had covered over the, uh, like a pinhole. And so you couldn't see it. And then he obviously pressure tested and it wasn't holding and he cleaned off all the flux and he found that pinhole. So I don't know if it was just uh, some flux that was covering it that had been holding and then whenever moving the unit around or whatever happened, dislodged the flux, but it was definitely a pretty big hole and uh it wasn't that hard of a fix but um how old is that unit i don't remember i I had to look up it's probably like a few years old oh yeah it's like 10 years old i would say at least um but i mean in pretty good shape for they it was like at an old restaurant and they tore out the box they i guess they closed the restaurant down tore out the box took out the evaporator and the condensing unit and then stored them in I mean, we're down here in Texas, so he stored it in a hay barn. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what he told me. He pulled it out of a hay barn. I piped it up and pressure tested it, found all the leaks. Like I said, I found another leak on the Schrader on the evaporator, but that's probably just from. It's always on the Schrader when it's It's never the Schrader. On Friday. On Friday. But in that case, it was, uh, I'm assuming like it just dry rotted or whatever uh, on the Schrader and it had leaked, but I mean. Pulled a vacuum on it, charged it up, and it fired right up. So, and started pulling down. 
What temperature is it keeping? Or right. is it set po- set point before I put in the key to therm temp plus defrost <laughs> or after? But actually, before the reason why I went with the temp plus defrost on it was because before um, it's they took out some panels whenever they built it from the original box to fit their floor plan. So it's probably slightly oversized, and I could only mm-hmm. get it to run for and it had no there's no heat load on it. There's nothing in there right now, so. By the, when it pulled down and actually got to set point and then turned back on again, it would run for like two minutes before kicking off again. But the old analog thermostat that was in there was kicking on at like 40 and then kicking off at 35 or somewhere in there. But then it would randomly turn on and off at like different, you know, like there was never like a consistent on and off, so random off uh, temperature. So I was, and then it had like a little, you know, the grassland time clock piece that you can pull, like you can just use the grassland time clock with the little spade connectors on it. It's not a full on time clock. They had one of those mounted in the evaporator coil and it was kind of hokey looking. So I was just hokey to find that. It did come out of a hay barn. (laughs) (laughs) True. It did come out of a hay barn. So um, I just talked to the guy and I'm like, and the other thing is, is they don't, uh, they face the door in an awkward way, if you ask me. But the main area where they they're in all the time, it uh, f- basically you can't see the temperature display on the front door from the main area in the the. It's in a barn where their the cooler box is located at. So I ended up putting the thermostat on the back side of the box, actually by the evaporator coil, so that if you're in the main section of the barn, and those ketotherm uh, templates defrost have huge displays on them that you can see from the door that accesses the little house section. So right when you walk out the door from the house, you can see the temperature display. So I ended up talking to him about that and, you know, just eliminating the analog thermostat because if they ever go to, Oh, the other thing was just like every other analog thermostat, the temperature settings on the dial weren't, you know, they weren't at all close to what the setting was for the temperature or the actual temperature in the box. So we just eliminated all that and put in the template defrost and everything was better. Sweet. What about you, Ruben? I have been changing filters this week. God, that sounds fun. That is super fun. Were they two uh, inch filters? Um, two inch and four inch. Pleated? Uh, yes. Merv oh, 8. yeah, those are nice. Merv 8. Merv 8, Merv 10. I thought um, Merv 13 was like the thing now with COVID. Well, we found some, we oh, found a lot stock. of boxes inside uh, the air handling uh, unit rooms. And they have some like Merv, I forgot what it was. I want to say it's like Merv 1. 16 <laughs> or oh wow, 14, 15, I don't know. But they're like super, I, I, I'd use the word restrictive. And they, they're they actually pretty old filters. You can tell that they bought them a while back and... They never used them, so. Um, but I did because um, all the coils are freezing up. <laughs> probably, I did nine uh, air handling units at this one building. It's got nine floors, so one one air handling unit per per floor. And then we got to do it's like a multi day PM. Got to go back and do like like six RTUs. Uh, one of them's like a hundred and forty ton. Sweet. Yeah, we got to get a. 
So anyways, uh, one of them's a 140-ton Aeon unit that has a bunch of filters, like 30 filters or something like that. Operating room? or No, it's uh, it's 100% outside air, so it has to have a, a bunch of filters out there. It's, I think it does, like, the common areas, hallways, and... Um, I don't know, general areas. Um, other than that, just been running servant calls, service calls on maybe some... Uh, serving calls? Serving Serv- calls. Servant I, calls. I've been serving... Serving up the people. Exactly. <laughs> service calls on, like, yeah, no calls, or we're even starting to get a couple of uh, no heat. Really? So, yeah. Hmm. It's funny. And it's just, like, what, 70 degrees out, 60? 65 today? It's cold front for Texas. That is. You want to go over the news? Sure. Um, so the AHR Expo uh, that was scheduled for January 25th to 27th, 2021 in Chicago has been officially postponed. It is uh, now being looked at for March 15th to 17th. However, they will not give a final decision until mid-October this year. So dates have moved and... We'll see if it happens. Yeah, if you're looking to go to that, might as well keep up with the website and see uh, what the final dates are. Absolutely. What do you got, Ulysses? I've worked on a few things this week. Um, maintenance on some chillers. Um, also worked on a system today with Chad, but he can tell you about that. Um, I worked on a Korean incubator that came from Australia. Cheers, mate. Um, uh, the compressor was rattling and the fan motor was out replaced the compressor it i even opened up the compressor and it turned out to be one of the mounting springs had broke so the whole motor assembly shifted over and it was just rocking on the shell it's pretty loud but there is no info on that unit so i've hopefully I guess the charge right. So I put in a little bit more than what I pulled out. I don't know why I did that, but it seems to be running fine. We're talking ounces here, right? I pulled out seven whole ounces. ounces. I put in nine. 20% overcharge. Hopefully it lasts. We'll see. That winter charger. (laughs) Yeah. And then I worked on a, people say KE2, but I think it's KE2. Ketotherm, yeah, Ketotherm. K2, whatever. On a compressor sequencer, a sensor was uh, faulty. It was reading, it was an open sensor, so the whole machine was actually down. Um, other than that, just PMs and I'm trying to think. A Wing Street freezer. Fan fell off the condenser, fan motor somehow. It's uh, not even bolted on. It's got like a clamp, tiny, tiny little under counter cooler. This is just one of those little spring clips that goes over the end of the shaft that yeah. holds the. Uh, condi- so I cleaned the lame. condenser with some of that Viper spray, and she was good to go. They haven't called this back yet, so we'll see. You want to talk about the tool? Of the yeah, week? the the tool of the week is going to be the Chad. The is Chad. the tool of the week the, <laughs> the K two Wi Fi service tool. Um, I've yet to play with one, but I have used the LDA, which is similar, but you have to connect 
that the LDA to the customer's um, internet, but it's pretty much the same thing. But the Wi-Fi service tool you can plug directly into the back of the controller, and it gives um, it provides a Wi-Fi signal, so you can connect to your laptop and. It's pretty helpful when you're troubleshooting these controllers because you can see all your sensors, the valve position, all in one um, screen versus having to scroll through the controller, which can kind of, the screen flashes pretty fast. So sometimes you have to look at it three, four times just to see what it's reading. But I just think it saves time by being able to look at everything and, trying to diagnose that way, get the full picture of what's going on. Yeah, and you can use, I think you can use that with the iPad. Like, it's a web-based portal, right? So you can use that with the iPad or a phone if you don't have a laptop. Yeah, for sure, but you you look cool when you walk up to a unit with a laptop. That's true. (laughs) They're like, oh, he really knows what he's doing, but... (laughs) Well, that way you don't look like you're just scrolling through Instagram. Yeah, you're like, get off your phone (laughs) and start to work. What about you, Chad? The king of scrolling through Instagram at work. No, that's not me. Um, so this week, uh, Monday and Tuesday, has pretty much been PMs, a couple little service calls here and there. But I was working on a unit uh, with Ulysses today. Um, gosh, how many months back did you find this uh, filter dryer? Uh, probably like half a year. Yeah, it's been it's been a while, been this filter down. dryer. Um, so the unit's been pumped down, but the customer just recently approved it. So we went out today um, to do a couple different repairs, but this one was uh, one that we thought would be fairly easy, and it turned out that it was terrible. Uh, we pumped the unit down, isolated the filter dryer, and pulled it out, and it looks like somebody had poured used motor motor oil in the system uh with i mean probably that had been running for hundreds of thousands of miles i mean it was terrible if you guys want to see pictures and videos uh look up ulysses on instagram i think it's also going to go on his youtube and then uh the hvacr radio uh podcast instagram it'll be on there also so uh cleaned it all up changed it out uh pulled a vacuum on it and fired it up uh, most likely we're going to go back and do an oil change on it, but that was uh, probably the most interesting. Most likely or most definitely? If they approve it. <laughs> if they approve <laughs> it. I mean, it's all approved, up to the customer, so true. we got to go back to them and, and uh, you know, ask them if they want to do the oil change on it. Um, other than that, it uh, that was pretty much it for today. Um it was definitely an interesting, something I'd never, ever seen before. So you guys definitely want to check that out if you want to see the nastiest filter dryer you've ever seen. That was probably that was probably the worst filter dryer I've ever seen. No, it's definitely the nastiest. I think I found the restricted filter dryer November 6, 2019. Oh, they jumped all over that fix. I told them about it. And That's more than six months. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> That's six months plus. Ten months. Yeah, just about ten. We can do it. Do you have any uh, anything interesting, John, that you've been working on recently that you can tell us about? Uh, a interesting project. Actually, today uh, I talked with a, um, a gentleman in uh, Minnesota. Um, he uh, he's working on a scientific room, so he's put the he's got the keto evaporator efficiency controller doing the you know doing the expansion valve and and thermostat and defrost functions. 
but we've also paired it with our key to temp plus valve, which is injecting hot gas using a, mo a modulated hot gas uh, bypass valve. It can actually control the temperature in the space. So it's a, um, the room is supposed to be controlled to plus or minus a, a degree of Fahrenheit. And um, so what they're doing is they're modulating the hot gas through their, you're using the key to temp plus valve controller uh, to, uh, to modulate that valve to hold that tight temperature. So, that was kind of an interesting project that I was working on today. What what temperature are they trying to hold in that box? Did you say? This was a uh, minus forty. Okay. Um, was the minus Fahrenheit was the was the the target temperature, but it's plus or minus a, a degree of Fahrenheit. So, um, you know, most thermostats, um, you know, don't hold that tight. <laughs> you know, and so uh, so anyway, so we were. We were just injecting hot gas into that, which most most of the time you don't get a lot of hot gas bypass on a minus forty degree, you know, refrigeration application. That's more of an air conditioning thing usually. Um, but they just the, the compressor runs all out, you know, all the time, and uh, and they just modulate hot gas in there, you know, whether or not they're overshooting or undershooting their their goal temp. Oh, that's really interesting. How does that? Um, so it has two different modules that work together then. Is that what, is that right? Is I'm hearing that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the key, the key to evaporator efficiency controller, um, which is our, our flagship product, right? So it's doing the, it's controlling the electronic expansion valve. So trying to control the superheat through that evaporator, obviously. And then it, it does the defrost function. So it still has the demand defrost and everything on that. So it'll still initiate defrost and, and everything as it needs to. Um, and then it will coordinate um, with the key to temp plus valve via digital inputs, digital output, to let it know when it needs to be active. So if it goes into defrost, for example, uh, it would give a signal to the key to temp plus valve control to close its valve so it could pump the system down and everything and do a, you know, this was an electric defrost application. So it would do uh, do its normal electric defrost. And then uh, and then whenever that defrost was complete, then it would uh, start the refrigeration cycle back up and then give the uh, key to temp plus valve its go signal if you will or run signal and then it would uh, start to modulate uh, accordingly oh that's cool is that a common application that you guys have seen or is that something new that you guys are working on or working with the contractor for so um it's pretty common actually you know constant run systems have been around forever right um and back whenever i was with spoil and 20 years ago, 18 years ago, something like that. Um, a lot of times they would try to do it by cycling solenoid valves uh, rapidly, you know what I mean, to try to, you know, switch back and forth the, the amount of hot gas going in there. But unfortunately, you're, typically your relay uh, life is not, you know, you don't get a lot of relay life if you're cycling that solenoid valve every, you know, 10 seconds or something like that. Uh, and then also your solenoid itself, they're not made, even a rapid cycle solenoid valve, aren't made for that many a cycles, right? So you're looking at a you know three or four year life expectancy out of those valves, uh, depending. So uh, so back then uh, we just started coming out with Exporland. We just start, we just started coming out with the uh, the modulated hot gas bypass valves, SDR series valves, SDR fours and threes and that kind of stuff. And um, and so we had uh, some controls that would modulate that valve. So that was a, a, a design concept then um, that we used with the uh, modulated hot gas. Now, you still had mechanical stats and you still had mechanical time clocks and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, on those systems because we didn't have a product like the Keto app, you know, to handle it and handle the rest of it. But, uh, but yeah, that modulated hot gas, that's a, a 
really neat way to really control very, very tight temperature in a space. You can do it on chillers too. We've done that quite a few times on chiller applications as well. You mentioned Sporlin and I wanted to go ahead and uh, just get you to introduce Ketotherm to the audience and then maybe give a little bit of a rundown about your background and history. You kind of already alluded to it, but if you could just uh, give us a quick rundown of Ketotherm and then yourself, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I grew up um, in, uh, in Washington, Missouri. So it's just a little outside of uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And my, my, my family, my dad worked for Spoil and Valve for, you know, 40 years or so. And so I, whenever I grew up, I wanted to become an engineer. And I, so I got my degree, my engineering, mechanical engineering degree, and I went to work for Spoil and Valve basically right out of, you know, right out of uh, college. And so that's, that's really where I kind of learned refrigeration, really. I mean, you learn a little bit in, in, in school, don't get me wrong, but, but the bulk of it really came from, you know, my time with uh, Sporland when I first got introduced with Sporland there. And then uh, worked for Sporland for about 12 years or so. And, uh, and then a group of uh, guys that I worked with at Sporland, they uh, thought there was an opportunity to kind of create a, say, a, a mid-level type control, something in between a, a, a full-blown rack system controller, uh, you know, big BMS type system that's going to control a rack on a supermarket. Um, something less than that as far as expense and, and all complexity goes, uh, but more than the, uh, the mechanical time clock and thermostats, you know, that are in most of our refrigeration applications today or were at that time. And so, so, uh, so they, they broke off from Sporland, started their own company, started a company called Ketotherm. And I, kind of went with them. They started in 2010. I, I started in 2010 uh, with them as well and uh, and started Ketotherm. So the, our flagship product, uh, the Keto Evaporator Efficiency Controller, that was basically our really our first um, major controller that we uh, reproduced at that time. And it has the ability to do your you know, electronic thermostat control, uh, built-in uh, demand defrost control, electronic expansion valve control, uh, also has the ability to manage evaporator fans, turn them on and off to control the, the temperature in the space a little bit tighter than what was traditional. Just leave the, you know the fans going all the time, and also for electric defrost applications, uh, manage the defrost heaters so you can turn them on and off a couple of times during the defrost cycle to uh, try to eliminate the hot spots in your evaporator, which eliminates the the fogging effect in your space and also puts less heat in your space and all of that together. Uh, reduces a lot of the uh, the energy consumption of your uh, your traditional refrigeration system as well. So, so that's kind of a little bit of my background, and then I mean, kind of how Ketotherm got got started there. Um, and that you know that product that uh, that you guys see today on our, our our systems out there, that's I mean the same basic product. We've added a lot of functionality to it uh, from our feedback from our customers. You know, one of the things we do a lot. Is uh, is get in front of and, and and work with our contractors, the guys who are actually you know turning the wrenches and, and working with the controls, and we get a lot of feedback from them. As you can imagine, they have a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas about you know how to do things a little bit differently, a little bit better, um, and and we take those ideas and we and we kind of uh, put them on a put them on a, a board and and try to you know kind of figure out okay how can we accomplish some of these things that these guys are asking us to do and, and to make it a better product. So we, we constantly are always doing that. And so you, you'll you see, you know, we will put out updates, you know, throughout the year on uh, all the firmware on these uh, these controls. And you'll see these these neat little additions 
here and there, you know, on the controllers that uh, try to make it easier for the guys who are installing on it and, or excuse me, installing them and working on them and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I first came across Ketotherm. Uh, it was probably 2012 or 13. Uh, we had uh, one of the reps came by, this is when I was in Southern California, and gave a, a demonstration on the EVAP efficiency controller. And at that time, I had a kind of a unique, well, it was really not that unique, I guess, but unique to me where uh, we had a coil that for some reason they had hung up right above a set of double doors for a small walk-in. It was for a meat cutting uh, outfit. It was, I don't want to say the name, but it was a, uh, basically it was a dedicated meat cutting room. And then they had this room next door that had the, the boxed meat that they would take and cut but they, so they would go in and out of it constantly. And the two double doors went from the hallway, which was an ambient, you know, whatever that was, there was no air conditioning in that space. And then it would go right into these double swinging doors that had a coil, a small coil hanging right above these two double doors. And we had so many issues with this uh, coil freezing up all the time because they would leave the door open or the, the door just wouldn't close all the way. It didn't seal good anyway because of the design of it. And the, everything else was tied to an, uh, an E2, but to get the capability from the E2, which really didn't have uh, any kind of demand defrost function at that time, and to get all the sensors and everything we needed from the engine room over to that room just wasn't feasible. And to move the coil wasn't feasible because they had truss above the cooler box that you couldn't even crawl through to get piping over that area anymore. So I found out about the the EVAP efficiency and I was like, man, this is exactly what I need. So we ended up taking that circuit off of the E2 and then we just ran it off of the EVAP efficiency. And it was actually really interesting to me at the time because I could go back and graph the defrost and I could see that if it was over the weekend, they would have hardly any defrost on the coil. And then throughout the week, you know, as the coil frosted up more and more from the doors being open and closed, it, that thing would just go through defrost and keep the coil pretty nice and clear. I don't think we ever had any problems with it after that. Um, but that was the first, and I, like, like you said, it, we've installed some more EVAP efficiency since then, and the same basic form factor is still there, just with the added functionality that you were talking about. But it was, it's, it was a great product, and it still is a great product in my opinion. But we've seen the white papers on online talking about the amount of frost reduction that the controller can do or I don't know creates the right word but you can reduce the amount of frost that you see on these walk-in coolers that just come from too long a defrost too many defrosts you know all these issues basically get identified and corrected with the demand defrost right that's exactly right that's exactly right and those are the those are the applications when we first got started that everybody, you know, would throw at us. They wouldn't throw us the easy one that <laughs> didn't ever have any problems, right? <laughs> you of know? course. So we kind of had a, yeah, we kind of had to prove ourselves on the on on those challenging type applications, right? Because um, that's that, those are the ones that they, you know, they they have a problem. Contractors, end users, whoever, they have a situation that they they need to resolve the issue on. And, uh, and inevitably they, they come across us someplace and we solve that problem. And then it usually kind of grows from there. 
Um, it's been, uh, it's been good. So, but back to your point on the weekend, you know, you, you, like you said, you didn't do too many defrosts over the weekend or whatever in that application because they weren't there and working on it. And a lot of times if you're hooked to an E2 or you're hooked to a, you know, a traditional time clock, you're just doing, you're going to do, you know, three or four defrosts a day and you're going to time, you know, do a full 30 minutes or a 45 minute defrost. Right. And if it really didn't need to defrost, then what's going to happen is that coil is going to get hot. I mean, it's going to get hot, you know what I mean? Cause there's no frost or ice really to absorb that heat uh, on that coil. And that's where all that steaming comes from and all that, you know, all that moisture coming off that coil and it ends up on the ceiling, you know what I mean? Cause it rises and condenses on the ceiling. And if you're in a freezer, it's going to refreeze. And, and so controlling those evaporators, and that's honestly, that's what our passion is, is, is controlling refrigeration systems, you know, better <laughs> than a, uh, than a, uh, unintelligent, I'll say a time clock or unintelligent type, you know, system. Uh, that's all our passion is we can see that there's, there's better ways to do these things. And it saves a lot of energy too. If I'm not having to turn those heaters on, you know what I mean? Four times a day, if I can have to do it every other day or something like that, I number one, I don't have to run the, run the heater. So that saves my, my customer, uh, money. And then all that heat you know, you, that you put in the room because you ran those heaters, well, you got to run the refrigeration to get it back out, you know? So, and that's more expensive to get it back out than it did to put it in, you know? So, um, it's just got it just made so much sense you know what i mean whenever um patrick holdmeyer uh, he was he's the president of uh key to therm and, and he was really the one that came to me first and, and asked me to come kind of join join his team uh and uh when he started describing you know some of this kind of stuff that they were they were looking at and thinking about i'm like this this makes too much sense for me not to you know what i mean it was it was uh it was a no-brainer for me yeah that was pretty groundbreaking stuff uh it's I think it still is. Uh, we had some industrial applications where they would use some pretty primitive technology with wires and, and other things like that for ammonia coils to try to do a demand defrost. But uh, the way that you guys went about it with sensors, I think is a lot more, or temp sensors is a lot more um, robust and probably has a little bit better uh, design, I think, than the the other applications that I'd seen previously. Can you talk a little bit about how the evap efficiency does the demand defrost and what it's looking for and how that's applied? Yeah, absolutely. So it's really, it's a pretty simple comp, uh, concept. The, the equation um, that goes into it is a little more complex and we won't get into the exact equation tonight, but, uh, but the concept really is pretty simple. So what we, what we do is we, we've got a, a, an air temperature sensor um, that is monitoring the, the entering air of the evaporator. Okay, so we want to understand what temperature of the air that's entering the evaporator, what, what that looks like, what that is. So we've got the air temperature sensor in there. And then we also have uh, coil sensors that, that are typically embedded in the fin stack of the evaporator itself. Um, and they should be in the coldest point of the evaporator um, uh, especially at the end of a defrost, but a coldest point of the evaporator during its operation. Um, and that'll become more apparent here as we go. But so what we, what we basically do is we get a, a baseline for how well that evaporator is, is operating when there's no frost or ice on the coil. So after the, the controller goes to a defrost, it, uh, it basically generates a baseline for how well uh, that equipment's running based off of the air that's entering the evaporator and those cold temperature sensors. Okay. And then as the, as the, uh, the, the system runs and, and you start to accumulate the frost and, 
and eventually the ice on the coil, then uh, then that relationship of the, the temperature of the air entering the coil and the coil sensors, uh, the fin sensor uh, temperatures, that, that relationship changes. And so we can calculate a loss of efficiency um, that that evaporator has off of its baseline that it generated without any profit ice on there. And then once, uh, once you lose basically 10% of your efficiency, that's when we trigger that defrost. And, and every time we go through a defrost and, and we continue to add information into that, that baseline algorithm, that calculation, because as you guys know, just like that, that, that uh, cutting room that you were talking about earlier, that meat cutting room, you know, those coils, the, the day that you install them is probably the cleanest that they'll ever be, right? Sure. After that... They start to they start to uh, accumulate dirt and debris and that kind of stuff and and whatnot and so they're not going to run as efficient you know after that and so so that algorithm needs to take that into an account right and and not only that the rack that it's connected to that that evaporator is connected to uh, you said this was in California so it's probably seventy five degrees every day right but in <laughs> yeah, most just about that's a warm day <laughs> right but. <laughs> right. But in most parts of the country, you know, we've got four seasons, right? So, so you know, on a, on a hot summer day, when that rack is, is a lot higher head pressure and, and whatnot, um, that, that, uh, that coil may have a little bit different relationship, right, uh, to the entering air than if it was on a, a winter, you know, a, a July, uh, excuse me, a January day in the winter, uh, it may be a little bit different relationship. And that's not so much change, changes with a rack as it is with a traditional condensing unit. Uh, traditional condensing units will have more fluctuations in that relationship, but there is some fluctuation changes in that. And so that algorithm, again, it's got to take all that into account. So it does that by getting more information after each baseline um, that basically gets after its defrost. I didn't realize that. So it's, it's continually learning. I thought that once it got the original baseline, that was it, but that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Uh, you wouldn't want to have it operating the same way all the time with given outdoor conditions. So that, that's cool. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And, and the other thing that changes a lot of times too is, it, it, you know, quite honestly is the, uh, the uh, humidity in the space. Now I realize we don't have a humidity sensor in there, but it does affect that relationship, right? The more moisture you actually have in your space, that, that coil temperature actually is going to change. Your air temperature sensor is not going to change so much, but your coil is going to feel that, you know, it's going to feel that pulling that moisture out of the air. It's, that's capacity, right? So, so that, that has a change too. So on those days that you had a lot of load in that, in that space where they were doing, you know, doing a lot of, uh, cutting and processing and that kind of stuff, well, that coil is going to weigh, way different. You know, it's going to feel way different when you got all that, that, uh, um, fresh meat in there, you know I mean? That they're processing than, than in other days too. So that's a, that becomes a, a big factor in there too. Yeah. We run into that a lot here, uh, down South with, uh, on dock coils as well. So on the, you know, the hot, humid summer days, whenever that they open those dock doors and that humidity rolls in, uh, it's a pretty big impact on the, on the coils we found. Yeah, you could frost a coil up in no time flat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, especially in the south, uh, you can get that that nice warm moist air. You know, hitting that that cold coil, boy, it, it can look snowy pretty quick in there on that coil. Yeah, exactly. All right, I'm going to turn it over to some of the other guys. I think they've got some questions for you. Um, but real quick before I do, I did have a question on uh, Instagram. We put it out there, and and I wanted you just to talk to it a little bit. We had. 
really just one comment, but they made the comment about the uh, electronic expansion valves and how they felt that there was a high failure rate on those. Is that something that you guys are finding in the field? Because we've I've had pretty good success with electronic expansion valves in general, um, and I don't know if that's just a, a turning point where people are still used to the traditional TEV or TXV, whatever you want to call it, and maybe not understanding exactly how the EV works. And I tried to ask exactly what failures that they were, uh, you know, being confronted with. And they, they replied back with mostly that the, the valve wasn't opening, that it was staying closed. So, you know, I, obviously I, I'm not there and I don't know what's going on, but have you, have you had pretty good success with the EVs and any issues with them? Yeah, we've had really good success with the EVs. Um, I, I, um, I do know that, you know, like any product you get out there, there's a lot of manufacturers of EEVs that are out there. Some may have a better quality uh, rate than others. I'll say it that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, sure. so maybe that's maybe he's experiencing, unfortunately, one of those uh, one of those manufacturers with less than stellar uh, quality uh, control. But, um, but honestly, with the especially with the keto evaporator efficiency controller, um, you know, we have had great success with EEVs, especially even from a troubleshooting standpoint, because you can you can manually open and close that valve to to verify that it's 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 not the valve, you know what I mean? That it's something else, uh, you know, going on your system, whether it's a charge issue, uh, uh, contaminants in the, you know, meaning like air, you know, something other than non-condensables in your system, um, you know, other, other things, right? So I can manually from the front of that controller, I can manually open or manually close that valve and, and validate that the thing is functioning properly and then move on to my, you know, on to my troubleshooting, uh, techniques onto what else is causing whatever the issue is that, that, that you know, that's, a, that's occurring. So, um, yeah, we've had really good luck on that. And honestly, I think there are times when, um, when somebody calls into our tech support line that we may rule out the EEV for them because just because they may not have understood that they can, they can manually move that valve. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like I, like I said, I'm just throwing it out there cause that's, uh, what somebody had mentioned. We have had pretty good success with them and only if i mean we've had a few failures don't get me wrong but we've had you know more that didn't fail i guess than did so i just wanted to bring it up and and make sure that we covered all the questions that were coming at us one other comment on that too you know if you think about what's an electric valve basically you've got a you've got a motor that's uh you know spinning a gear and then a pin that's pushing a pin in and out of the port right there's really the motor, those motors typically are changeable too, by the way. Um, you know, if, if for one whatever reason, if they were to barn up, which you don't hear about that, but there's just not a lot of moving parts in there, quite frankly. You know what I mean? There's a worm gear and a motor that spins that, <laughs> that worm gear. Really, that's all it is. If you look at all the moving parts in a mechanical expansion valve, a TEV, holy cow, there's a, there's, there's a bunch of them. There's the pins, you know, there's the diaphragm, there's charge. There's a lot more moving parts in there. Uh, than in a electronic valve. So uh, there's a lot less to fail in them as well. Well, and I would say that there's a lot less uh, service technician error going on with a, a EEV over a TXV. I mean, we've, I don't know how many TXVs I've come across that the stem doesn't even do anything anymore. It doesn't do any adjustment because somebody is over, you know, ran it too far in or too far out. And, you know, I think the EEV cuts out that a lot with just 
having less service error involved in it uh, from, you know, ham-handed technicians that we are. Chad. Baby Huey. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, that, I think that's, that's, uh, that's great, and I hope the in- industry keeps going to the EV, actually, because I, I would like to see more of them out there. We, I mean, Ulysses, you, you had an interesting failure, I guess. Actually, the EV was getting stuck intermittently, and I actually opened the valve apart, and the gear was stripped out. Or the, the um, I guess it's the gear on the pin. Oh, the stem, right? On the, the world on the, gear. On the piston, yeah, that was actually stripped out. So it was just pretty interesting. I've never seen that. That's probably the only. That's the only one I've come across like that. I've come across a couple where the seat is worn out. Yeah. And But that's a different situation. That's, that's a misapplication. Sorry, Ulysses is, <laughs> Ulysses is popular. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Hey, John, I had a, let's chat here. I had a couple of questions for you. Um, you mentioned a little bit about your guys' tech support, but I was wondering if you could kind of touch on that a little bit more. I can tell you that every time I've called uh, looking for support from you guys, your tech support team has been absolutely amazing. Um, they're always happy. I mean, we call some tech support and they act like their lives are ending and they don't want to be on the phone with you, but your guys' tech support's pretty awesome. So can you touch a little bit more on it? Um, you know, when they're available, you know, how big the team is, um, anything like that? Yeah. So, so first off, I appreciate your comments on that. Uh, we work very, very hard um, at Key Therm to make sure that our tech support is, is uh, a number one class for sure. Um, as far as the team goes, quite honestly, uh, the entire company views tech support um, as a, as a priority, as a responsibility. So if you call into, into Key to Therm, quite honestly, anybody who can answer your question is going to do their best to, to take care of it. Right. So you may have uh, different uh, uh, different backgrounds or different strengths within our tech support group. Uh, you know, Mike and I'm going to use first names within our group. But, you know, Mike may be more um, uh, versed in our communication side of things and maybe just a little bit less on the refrigeration side. So he's going to be able to help you with, you know, how to get connected with the controller, how to bond them, you know, that kind of stuff, how to get it, you know, get it set up from a communication standpoint. Um, but if you ask him about, you know, how to check if there's air, you know, air in your condenser, he's probably not your guy, you know what I mean? Right. Whereas we've got Neil and Ken um, who have more of a refrigeration background and, and those guys are going to be more versed in, in those types of things. But all of our salespeople are all very, very um, uh, technical, refrigeration technical people as well. So um, those guys rotate into the, in, the, in, on, in and on the calls. Uh, when they can as well. And then they cover their different regions. So a lot of times, um, you know, the guys in my region, for example, the, the contractors and whatnot, they usually will try to call me first. And then if I'm on the phone or tied up, then they'll, they'll call our tech support uh, staff from there. And then we also have uh, our product manager and uh, marketing managers, Ryan and, or excuse me, uh, Mark and Ryan, respectively, um, that also, uh, you know, take uh, tech support, uh, take, uh, excuse me, take tech support calls as well. So we've got a pretty big um, group, if you will, that that, uh, that try to field those calls when, whenever possible. Um, now, the uh, the timing uh, on that, we're, we're in the central time zone, so we're in St. Louis. So right now our, our tech support line is, uh, is from 8 to 5, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And if you call, excuse me, if you call outside that, 
Uh, we now have a uh, uh, still we have availability on tech support, but if there is a seventy-five dollar um, uh, charge uh, for that tech support outside that that timeline. That's uh, that's fair. I mean, that's pretty good for somebody that's in a in a real bind or a real emergency that they need, you know, that assistance. I'm sure I'm sure they'd be willing to pay it. Yeah, we we get uh, we get some calls on that. Not not a lot, but you know, the honestly, you know, these. Uh, we don't have a separate team that, that works second and third shift. You know what I mean? So, you know, we try to, we try to compensate them for the most part that goes to that individual who's answering the call <laughs> for you as well. Yeah. Um, the other question that I had, um, I don't know if you guys, you know, where you guys are at on it. So I know when you're in um, the keto therm on the computer that you can graph the uh, temp sensors. So your coil sensor and your air sensor for the week or for the month, have you guys put anything in place to graph pressures uh, along with those temps? So that is a great question. So um, we are working um, on a new uh, version of Smart Access, and it's a, this is a, maybe a little early for me to be talking about too much of it, but we are working on a new version of Smart Access, which Smart Access is our remote, remote portal. Um, uh, that you can have our controllers, you know, report to, and then you can access it from basically anywhere in the world, as long as you have a, a smart device, like a phone or, you know, a laptop or whatever. Um, but on that new version of smart access, it will, uh, it will be graphing uh, much more than just the uh, temperatures uh, of the air and the coil sensors. Uh, you can, you can put in there superheats, you can put in pressures, you can put in lots more information on that graph. Um, so a lot more capability, uh, once that, once that rolls out, that's, so that's we're looking awesome. at probably, yeah, we're looking at probably winter on that. And we are very excited. There's a lot more capability that I, that I'm, I'm not going to go into because <laughs> it is a little bit premature right now. Um, but we've been hearing, uh, you know, guys like yourself ask us, you know, to put more information on that graph in the, uh, on the controller. Quite honestly, one of the reasons why we're not necessarily putting it on that controller today is there is a limited amount of memory and, and space, you know, on those on those devices to do some of that kind of stuff. And graphics eats a lot of that up, and so uh, so that's why we're you know we're we're going to kind of offload that that function or capability, if you will, into our uh, smart access portal. John, this is Ulysses. I had a question. I've, I've uh, installed several K2 evaporator efficiencies. Uh, controllers uh, the customer usually wants it somewhere where they can see it and I've noticed you know you have to run um, some wire from the condenser uh, to the controller to control the solenoid uh, defrost heaters or fan contactor if it's in the condenser but I've noticed on some OEM applications they have a two-wire communication with an auxiliary board is that something that um, contractors can purchase or is that only available for OEM? No, you can certainly get the OEM hardware, what we call the OEM hardware. Um, when we developed that hardware, it was really for them in mind to be mounting that, uh, keto evap, um, controller in the, you know, in the evaporator, excuse me, in the evaporator, um, I'll call it the vestibule, but basically those, those end, end caps on the evaporator, um, you know, that's why we, we kind of designed it with that with that format, and then <clears throat> that controller, that hardware, that keto uh, OEM hardware, um, talks with that auxiliary relay board to 
you know, basically uh, have the same relay functions, the fan uh, relay, the liquid line solenoid relay, and the defrost relay functions remote, right? Exactly like you said, two-wire communications. It's basically serial communications on the RS-45 uh, connection there. And you can mount that in the condensing unit or, or wherever you want to mount that. Um, and you can certainly get that through our wholesale distribution uh, network, no, no question. One other thing on that hardware too, if they, if you have a customer who asks, you know, to, to have that display uh, remoted, because we do have some customers that will ask to have the display, you know, have a display on the outside of that walk-in or on the outside of that, that facility or whatever that, you know, not in, not in the refrigerated space, if you will, you can also connect you know, something we call a combo display to that OEM hardware. And uh, they have a remote display that you can interact with the controller set points. You get alarms, you know, display on that as well as an audible alarm. And, and there's a few other features in that as well. So that's a that's a really nice uh, uh, setup that we put together in that uh, product category. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I guess it could speed up the installation only running a two-wire cable to the condenser because most of the times that's where we have to install the K2 wherever the customer wants. Usually it's inside the where they can play with it. Right. But and if you think about that, so if you put the controller, the evaporator efficiency controller in the evaporator to drive, you know, that's where your sensors are going to be for the space, right? And if you have an electric expansion valve, you know, it's going to be wired right there as well. And then if you run just the two wire up to that um, auxiliary relay board in your condensing unit, then you don't have to run the heavy what would normally be, you know, 12 gauge or, or, you know, high voltage wire just to, for control wire to pilot those contactors. So the cost, not only easier from a time standpoint, but the cost for the material and everything is going to be way less. And then you can put that little, like I said, that display on the outside of the, the walk-in. Uh, and that's just run off of a, basically what we call an RJ12 cable. Um, so it's a kind of like a phone, phone jack type cable. Uh, that goes from that controller, uh, the keto evaporator efficiency controller OEM to the combo display. So again, there's not there's not any heavy wire that you got to run there either. Yeah, that's what I was alluding to because most of the times I've had to run about eight strands of twelve or fourteen. Yeah, it can be costly, can it? Yeah, it just takes time. Well, time. I mean, running con- running running the conduit, and it's just yeah, definitely time. Yeah. Hey, John, Ruben here. I had a question on the uh, EVAP rack efficiency controllers. So we had this store that had uh, seven large walk-in freezers with these controllers on them. And I got a service call one day early in the morning, and I believe the store had a power glitch. And uh, all the controllers had uh, lost uh, their memory. They pretty much uh, reverted back to the default settings. So we had to individually go through each controller and reprogram it to the proper settings for our, the evaporators on a rack with electric defrost. Um, what was going on with that? And is there anything that we can do as technicians to avoid this in the future? So on that, on that controller, that key to rack efficiency controller, when we first came out with it, we were storing the memory in that controller in a, in a certain area of the, of the controller. And if you had some funny electrical glitch, okay, that would occur, there was, there was a chance that it could uh, revert to a different memory slot to pull its information from, which was those defaults that you were talking about. And once we found, we, we heard about that, we figured that out or whatever, uh, very early on, 
in the next firmware update that we put out there, we no longer stored that memory in that other place, if you will. So there's a there's a programming change that was made. So on those particular units that you had there, if we update the the firmware to the latest firmware, um, that that would never happen again. Um, so just to let you know that there was a a change in how we handle those those default those uh, setting where we store that on the controller to keep that to keep that from happening again. So so we learned we're, we're not perfect, right? We, so we learned <laughs> things a little bit here and there as well. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the reason why you, you I think you experienced what you what you saw. Yeah, and I and I know that that call came um, came back in a few weeks later when they had another uh, power glitch and uh, we had another guy out there doing the exact same thing. So. Um, but it, that's nice to know that it's been um, updated and fixed. Yeah, if they, if they, it, and, and updating our controllers doesn't cost anything either. So you can go to our website today and, and get the latest firmware um, for those controllers for on that site. You can download it free of charge, and you can update those controllers, their firmware on those, and and, and you know put in the, the program settings that you that you need for that application, and and that doesn't cost. I mean, there is some time involved. Don't get me wrong on that, but there doesn't cost you anything from us. There's no charge for the firmware or, or anything like that. So, do these controllers are they capable of uh, hot gas defrost? Uh, they do have the ability to do hot gas defrost. Um, um, the the hot gas pulse. We do not pulse uh, the hot gas uh, defrost. We we. Uh, uh, we looked into doing some things back. We've tested that, and we uh, anyway we feel like just doing a straight hot gas defrost is, is a is a better way. Uh, what we found in our testing uh, in our labs and, and in, on uh, on test sites. Um, so we don't do the pulse, uh, but we do a hot gas uh, defrost system with those. They do have the capability. Hey John, how do you, um, so going back to the firmware updates? How would a tech or a customer or you know, anybody know, like, how would you find out that there has been an issue found with the product and you guys have fixed it and there is a firmware update that they can go and get and download? How, how, how would we go about finding out that information? So, um, on the controllers themselves, you can find the, uh, the current firmware, uh, on the controller itself, either through the, the, the push button display, or if you're looking at it on a, on a smart device, you can go to its settings page. Um, on the key to rack efficiency control, you can go on the settings page and, uh, and it'll give you the uh, version of firmware on that page. And then, um, you'd have to check with, uh, with our website to see what the latest, uh, you know, what the latest version is out there. Now, now just because there's a new version out there, doesn't necessarily mean that there was a problem with the one that you have. Like I said, we put updates out, uh, regularly just to add features and, and, and more capability and that kind of stuff, uh, out there. So just because there's new firmware up there out there doesn't necessarily mean that it uh, there's an issue with the one that you have. But uh, we always encourage you to be on the latest the latest version uh, of firmware, so you so you do have access to those those uh, features and whatnot um, that we, that we're putting into there um, for one reason. And then the other thing that we also encourage you is a lot of our controls are online. You know, many times uh, when a contractor or a service tech calls in. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they'll call in and we're able to pull those controllers up, you know, to see them through smart access, see them remotely and kind of walk them through the troubleshooting process. And so because they are online, 
we want to always make sure that their their security, you know, their internet security and all that kind of stuff is is the latest and greatest. So occasionally we'll put some security upgrades uh, in that firmware as well, at, you know, at, over time. Because I promise you, what's uh, the security standards uh, for internet security standards today were a little bit different than what they were in 2010, right? right. So <laughs> so uh, you want to you want to try to keep them up updated. Um, you know, the same way with your home routers that you're in your homes and that kind of stuff. You want to you want to try to get those updated uh, through their they're usually free services and that kind of stuff for those those products as well to keep your keep yourself safe. You want to keep these controls safe if they're plugged into the uh, a network like it has internet as well. Very good. I wanted to get you to talk about some of the other products if you've got a little bit more time. I had uh... yeah. I think that the, the EVAP efficiency is a, is a great product, but I don't know that um, that's something that the average tech maybe runs into every day. But I think that a, a, a great product that is accessible and is uh, something that everybody, I think, runs across is the Temp Plus Defrost. And in my mind, if I'm going to change a thermostat, I'm going to put in a Temp Plus Defrost if I can because I just want to get rid of the different thermostat, the different defrost time clock and integrate it all into one controller. And I think that there's still some technicians out there that maybe don't realize that that's even an option. Can you talk about that product a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that product, that was uh, the second product I think that we came out with actually right after the keto evaporator efficiency controller. And so the key temp plus defrost um, was basically like you said, it's a thermostat. It's a it's a digital thermostat, right? And but it has off time uh, built into it. So on a traditional system, on a traditional uh, condensing unit, you know, evaporator type setup, uh, you've got a time clock that basically kills the power to your thermostat, which closes the solenoid valve, right? And your fans stay running. Um, so our thought was, well, why do I need to? Why do I need the the uh, time clock to kill the power to my thermostat? I'll just on a on a some kind of a schedule basis. You determine what that schedule is. I'll just close the solenoid valve, you know, <laughs> and let the fans run. So, so we built that into that uh, into that uh, product, and um, and quite frankly, then you don't need any uh, any interconnecting wire now um, between your condensing unit and your evaporator. You just need to bring in you know uh, L1 to neutral or L1 L2 to your evaporator. Many times it can now come from the power panel. You know, in the facility, it doesn't have to come all the way from the roof or wherever your condensing unit lies. And we're going to control that. Uh, we're going to control that thermostat, or excuse me, that solenoid valve. And uh, and like I said, if you plug in however many defrosts per day and and however long you want it to be, it'll it'll do that without without having to add a time clock. That product also, I, honestly, I think I apply as many of those products on or excuse me of the key to temp plus defrost on uh under the counter and uh, you know smaller refrigeration systems reach in uh, little reach in self-contained systems as i do on walk-ins um because again a lot of those little little uh, thermostats they don't have timers uh, time clocks built into them at all and uh and so this is a way to add some kind of an off time defrost into those little uh with little reach-ins and and whatnot that uh quite frankly need it but just lack it today yeah, I think there's some other advantages. Yeah. Of, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, there was one other application that I, I just hear 
I want to say about a week or so ago, um, that uh, I ran across again. This is multiple times I've run across this, but there's a particular uh, restaurant chain that they've got these uh, cold wall, um, cold wall type systems where you put the like little. Uh, Oh, I can't think of what my, my mind went blank, blank there. You put these little uh, containers in to, you know, to chill salad and, you know, and cheese and that kind of stuff. Kind of like a little salad bar type thing, right? You got a little cold wall type self-contained piece of equipment, right? And they run it all day long, um, but they're supposed to turn it off at night in order to, def, you know, defrost it, right? Because it's got frosty walls and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, <clears throat> unfortunately, the staff doesn't always remember to turn it off at night, you know, moves, moves the product into the walk-in, you're right. But they don't always remember to uh, turn it off. So in the morning when they come back, um, the thing's frozen solid. So yeah, they don't ever turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that they don't remember. They just don't. They just don't. So one of the contractors I was working with, he was, he was asking me if I had anything for it. And, and what I recommended to him was that key to 10 plus defrost. And I said, just, uh, since it has a real time clock in it, um, just program it to be in defrost, you know, after they close and come back on, you know, maybe 45 minutes or an hour before they open. So it's nice and cold whenever they're, you know, ready to put their stuff back in there. And that, that product actually has a battery in it so that once he programs it for that, that time period, even if it does lose power, uh, and whatnot, that, that, that time will still be, will be still set for that, you know, for that application. So that's a, that's a really good application for that product as well. Yeah, that's a good use case for that. And I think that I just wanted to point out another couple advantages over if you have to have a traditional thermostat or a traditional time clock. A uh, couple of other things that the Templus Defrost does is it a, tells the customer when it's in defrost, which I really like because that I don't know how many times we've gotten a phone call about you know something a walk in being too warm and then you know we get down there and it just came out of defrost an hour ago and the temperature's fine now. So I like that feature. And then it also has some high and low temp alarm set points that you wouldn't traditionally get out of a normal thermostat. Or, uh, you know, if you were just replacing a time clock, if you went back in with this, you'd have that added functionality there. Um, but I, I like those features as well. And then like you were alluding to, you can either do time specific times, or you can just set the controller up to do a certain amount of defrost per day and then let the, the thermostat handle that. So I, I think that's a great product, and I, I I just like it. I don't know what to say about that. I just like I love it. it. <laughs> we can definitely probably use some of those on these under counter uh, or make tables that we work on. Yeah, they do the same thing where they hey, don't turn it off. They, yeah, John, I had a question about the compressor sequencer. If you could just go over that briefly, I've encountered a few of these on some single systems. I've seen some with unloaders, but I've also seen some with just a single compressor with no unloaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, um, that's, that's been a really good product for us as well. The, um, the compressors, that compressor sequencer has got a lot of capability. I, I've got some, uh, OEMs applying it where they'll have just even just a single digital, uh, compressor that'll control the, the digital compressor, you know, unload that properly. Um, or they'll put it on a, you know, a, a, a parallel, you know, one or two compressor. Uh, it will handle up the old, the OEM board will handle up to, uh, eight, uh, compressor or yeah, eight compressors or eight stages of unloading, uh, if you will. Um, but, uh, but that's been a real good product for us. So we can, we can, um, uh, control to a static suction pressure. 
which is where probably 95% they'll set it at a, a fixed, you know, suction pressure setting and, uh, and just stage the compressors accordingly to, to maintain that pressure. Um, but now on the OEM uh, product, if you pair it with some of our keto vap OEM uh, controls or our rack efficiency controls, you can actually float that suction up as well. So it'll, it'll, um, it'll feed the information from the, uh, uh, the low side controls. So the, the keto vap, you know, controls will feed their room temperatures to the uh, compressor sequencer and the sequencer will basically maintain the lowest, uh, room temperature set point that's out there, make sure that it's, it's satisfied all the time. Um, and so that's been, that's a neat, uh, a neat function for us as well. Um, so, but it, and it has site view also built into it, what we call site view and site view basically allows us to on larger systems where you got multiple circuits, uh, it allows us to, um, to limit the amount of, uh, circuits that go into defrost at a time, you know, typically on a, on a small rack or large rack for that matter too, you don't want the whole, the whole rack going to defrost at one time, right? So you want to limit a certain amount of BTUs or a certain amount of, uh, heat, electric, uh, heat goes into defrost at a time. So, uh, has all that capability in there as well when you pair it with our keto vap controls. Hey, John, I had a question. So um, that uh, same account that Ulysses is talking about with the compressor sequencers, we've actually had quite a few sensor failures on those uh, on the suction line and um, the the installing contractor. Um, we're not really sure what was going on, but they've also removed all of the uh, sensors on the discharge line. Have you guys, and that's an, it's an OEM product. It, it came with the condensing units. Um, have you seen that or do you have any insight as to why we're having the sensor failures, um, at that specific account? No, but I would like to learn more about that, uh, offline, uh, okay. to get, you know, get some of those sensors, get those sensors back and have them evaluated, uh, and whatnot. So, so those suction line temperature sensors that uh, you're talking about uh, on that product, those are the same temperature sensors we use on all the keto vaps, keto temps, keto low temps, keto adaptive controls. That's the same sensor. Um, so, and we put them on suction lines, you know, for the uh, electric expansion valve control to, you know, in order to know what the superheat is and that kind of stuff. It's the same one that goes in the evaporator coils and in the air. So, um, and that has been a solid product for us. Those sensors, um, we spend a little bit more on sensors uh, than what some of our, you know, what you can, uh, simply because obviously if the sensor's not working, your controller's not going to work properly. So right, yeah, that's um, that's the so issue we, we were running into. Um, one thing that I did notice on these OEMs is um, the way they're mounted uh, on this particular application. They've actually uh, soldered a thermal well on the suction line on the vertical. And they dropped the sensor in. So we weren't sure if maybe it was um, a moisture issue just sitting, you know, having that sensor. If there's moisture being built up in the in that thermal well and they're just sitting in water all day. Um, so we've actually, as, as I've gone through and replaced them, I've put them on the horizontal and just insulated them. You know, just tied them up to the, to the suction line and insulated them. Um, but Ulysses just went out there and found one that I had replaced not too long ago. Um, and it was open actually. So he does have those and, you know, we can sidebar on that and, and get those over to you guys for testing. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to, I think you did hit on it though, on that, on that well though. So potentially anyway, right. so those, those sensors are not submersible, right? They're not intended to be, you know, 
submerged into a liquid um, at all. So if that well were, were to fill up with, with moisture uh, and being on the suction line, I can see where that that's a good possibility right. if the well is, you know, is on a vertical like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're not intended to be uh, submerged. So that, that may be um, maybe what's going on there. Well, I guess we're, we're uh, just about at a, uh, an hour right now, and I would like to let you tell everybody where they can find you guys at. Yeah, so the easiest way to get in touch with us is to either uh, come see us on our, on our website, uh, which is uh, ketotherm.com, um, so that's K-E-2-T-H-E-R-M.com, um, and or call us uh, anytime. Call us. Our, our main phone number is area code 636-266-0140. That's also our tech support line as well, um, but certainly drop us a line. Um, yeah, visit us on our website. All of our literature and everything is there. And then if you need to get in touch with any one of us uh, individually, regionally-wise, sales-wise, you can locate us uh, either way as well. Either on our website, you can find our information or call, and, and you can be directed through there. And I appreciate you guys' this time. I, I appreciate you guys having me on, too. This has been fun. Hey, one more question. Is it KE2 or does it have to be Ketotherm? <laughs> so... So it's kind of funny. So the, the again, Patrick Holdmeyer, the president of our company, when when they came up with the name, uh, they put KE2 is, is what is what it is. But it's uh, key two is the is the way you know where the key to your thermal solutions, right? So so it was kind of a play on words there. But uh, most everybody calls it KE2, but uh, uh, but we've been trained internally. <laughs> to call it key two. Even don't call it KE2. <laughs> That's right. That's um, right. Well, we really appreciate anyway. it, John, and uh, I know you guys have a lot of products uh, available that we haven't even hit on. If you, if everybody out there listening wants to know more, definitely go check out your website, you guys. Ha- and if they're picking up something that they uh, maybe don't know about yet or haven't seen yet, you guys have a, uh, a pretty vast array of uh, videos that cover the product. So go check those videos out if you have any questions about installation or just application in general. But we, uh, again, really appreciate you having me on. And uh, come back and, and do it again sometime. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much. Looking forward to it. Cats on. Like, what are you guys doing? Why are you feeding cats? I'm not feeding cats, dude. <laughs>